0: Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. It is fun being in church on, on New Year's Day. We don't do this very often. What is it, every four or five years we get to be in church on New Year's? And I was thinking about it as we were preparing the last few weeks and thinking about, wow, New Year's Day, I bet there's some drowsy folks in here, right? <laughs> so I had no pressure, you know, you got to keep the, the folks awake today. So I thought, well, we could do some, you know, illustrations. I could have fire. Fire's good, but I didn't do that. You know, I thought, well, we could break stuff. That's usually entertaining, but I didn't do that either. But I know it's a challenge. What I was thinking about is this. You know, as a, as a preacher myself, all my life, I have, I have sat where you sit and, and kind of watched preachers preach and kind of evaluated what they do. And then having been in full-time ministry now, oh my goodness, some 30 years, anytime I go visit and see a preacher, I, I, I have a hard time, hear me here, I'm, I'm just telling you the truth you get wrapped up in how things are done rather than what's being done sometimes. And one thing that's always entertaining is I've noticed some, some preachers have a hard time keeping it in the time frame. You ever notice that? Anybody ever notice that? Okay, yeah, I heard some yeses. Uh, yeah, and sometimes it's bad planning, I'll just be honest. Sometimes as a preacher, you know, you're just, you're, you get stuck on a point or you get off your point. Sometimes that happens. I've seen preachers where they just have too many stories. And then I remember when I, was, when I was new in the ministry, and you see this a lot with younger preachers, they're so afraid of, of being done too early and not having enough to say that they overprepare, Or you've got all this stuff you've learned over the years that, that you never get a chance to share. It's just, it's just in your head, and you just share too much. Or I've seen preachers do this. They'll get near the end, and they realize they're running out of time, and they'll say, I need five more minutes. Who will give me five more minutes? You ever seen this done? So then they, you know, people raise their hands because they're being nice. And he goes, okay, 5, 10, 20, 30, you know, and then he's, yeah, yeah, we're not doing that. You know what's interesting is I, I was noticing in scripture not too long ago, one of the scripture Bible writers actually kind of said that. He goes, I'm running out of time. I've gone too long. And, and so I want to take you to this portion of scripture. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. Most of you are familiar with this portion of scripture. We call it the, the heroes of the faith scripture. Because this entire chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews is going on and he's talking about the heroes of the faith. And he does go into a lot, a lot of detail on some of them. And then you get to this verse. And he says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. It's like he's run out of time. All the prophets. You know how many prophets there were? You got the major prophets, the minor prophets. There's some cool stuff that happens in those stories. But he's run out of time. So he just kind of jams it all in there. And he says, all the prophets. And then he wraps the whole thing up in a few verses after this. And as I was reading this, I was kind of chuckling because, and I I read it in a couple different versions of the Bible. It's funny because in the message version, it says, I could go on and on, but I've run out of time. Doesn't that sound like a preacher? But I got to thinking, he he mentions David and Samuel here, who are very famous. People know them, right? King David and Samuel was one of the prophets, and then he jams all the prophets together. But who are these other guys? Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Some of them are, are relatively familiar, but what you may not know is these, these are four people who are mentioned in the book of Judges. There's a lot of other judges, but he mentions four, and he doesn't tell you anything about them, but he puts them in this, in this record of faith. So I thought, well, let's just look at them for a minute. Who are these guys, and why are they heroes? Because really, if you start to look at them, it was at a time in Israel where the Bible says that, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was almost like the wild, wild west of Israel's time, and crazy things were happening. And if you look at their lives just in, in brief, Gideon defeated the Midianites, Barak defeated the Canaanites, Samson defeated the Philistines, Jephthah defeated the Ammonites. These were all people groups who were constantly attacking Israel at the time. And at different times, Israel needed somebody to save them, and they didn't know what to do. But as you look into these guys' lives, I notice something very significant. They're very flawed people, very flawed. In fact, as you read their lives, you wonder, how did this guy make it in the Bible? I mean, they're that flawed. And one of the many things I love about Scripture is The Bible puts it out there real life, doesn't sugarcoat anything. And a lot of stories you read, you know, they make them better than life and bigger than life and more perfect than you could ever be, but not the Bible. The Bible always shows you the good and the bad. What I love about that is because that's us. We're all flawed characters. And as good as many of you are, if we scratch enough and look beneath the surface enough, there's probably something in there you're not proud of there's probably something in your past or something in your present that you're struggling with that you would hate to have displayed and then these guys lives are plastered right there in the bible they had faith no question about it and it, and what's good is it's a faith that's kind of like ours because it was a faith mingled with doubt not only did they have faith but they had unbelief and they had they had compromise and they had human reasoning and they had ups and downs and failures and they had public and private failures and people who defended or depended on them, just like you and just like me, good intentions, just like you and just like me. And I think about it, here we are right on the first day of 2017. I know looking back at my life, I don't know, maybe if you remember this, do you remember the day you realized what year you were going to graduate? Remember that? You might have been a sophomore or even a freshman or even younger and somebody pointed out to you, oh, you're going to be the class of Whatever. What class were you guys? What, what, what year did you graduate? I hear some 70s. Heard some 50s. Okay. Isn't that weird? None of us ever thought of 2017. I mean, maybe this row appears thinking that kind of thing, but we never thought of that because that didn't even exist yet. I mean, it was way, 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 way out there. And as you're thinking about the future here, what some of you may be thinking is, I'm a lot more like these guys in 2016 and I'm not sure 2017's all that promising because sometimes it's hard not to look back. And that word we heard from God today talking about I'm going to be with you in the future and looking forward to the future and don't look back. The problem is a lot of times we're stuck in the past. And some of us are crippled by fear and some of us have good intentions and we never follow through. Here's what I love about these four guys. God knew their faults and he still honored their faith. He still honored their faith. You know what that means? There's hope for you and me. What that means is I, I could still be in this. I mean, the Bible's written, but it, I could be in there because a lot of times I compare myself to some of you or I compare myself to even characters in scripture. And I think there's no way I'm ever good enough. And it's the word again that came today that where it said that God looks at us with joy. Most of the time I look at myself and I think God would never look at me with joy. But the fact is, even with our faults, he does that and he looks at us with joy. Were they imperfect guys? Yeah, very. But he knew their faults and he still put them in the book. Let's look at the first guy, Gideon. Some of you know this story. Maybe you don't know the story, but Gideon was a fearful person. And let's just look right at it. It's in Judges chapter 6. It says, the Midianites were so cruel... That the Israelites had made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek... Uh, camping in the land. They would come and camp in the land and destroy crops as far away as Gaza. And they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep and goats and cattle and donkeys. And these enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, they were so thick as locusts, they arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Some of you may remember that movie, Ants, came out a long time ago, kind of the same story. And I wonder if that's where they got the story. The ants would build up all these supplies all year, then the, then the grasshoppers would come in and steal it all, and this is what was happening. And we have this guy, Gideon, he's full of fear. And the Bible says, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezar. And Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. To hide the grain for the Midianites. This is not what you would think of as a hero. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and he says, mighty hero, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And right away Gideon says, sir, if God's really with us, how come we're being persecuted all the time? And how come our, our people are starving? And is that, Would that be your response? Seriously? If I'm hiding out and I'm down inside of a wide-pressed threshing wheat hiding from Midianites and an angel appears... That's not the first thing I'm going to say. I mean, I, I would first of all be just blown away that an angel was there, and then I might be afraid of him, but this is the one instance in scripture where the person doesn't automatically respond with fear. Instead, he goes right to blaming God, and what's funny is the angel doesn't even respond to his complaint. The angel goes right on, and he says, he says then the Lord, the Lord turns to him, and he says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. This is what he says. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Then he says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Gideon complains. Gideon's fearful. Gideon's trying to blame all the problems on God, and the angel says to him, you already have the strength in you. Go do what we've called you to do. The story gets even crazier because he, he again, complains, and he says, how can I rescue Israel? He says, my clan is the, the least in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I'm the least in my whole family. He basically says, I'm not good enough. You picked the wrong guy. I'm not the guy. Isn't it funny how many movie plots have that same storyline? You got this hero. He's like this unlikely, reluctant hero. And in all those movies, I'm like, oh, come on. Please, just man up and do the job. And this is Gideon. You know what's funny? It's because... What's funny is one of the things Gideon complained to God about is he says, what happened to all those stories when God delivered us from Egypt and he did all those miracles? And then he basically says the same things Moses said. I'm not good enough. I don't speak well. I'm the wrong guy. You should pick somebody else. And again, the angel just blows by it all. And the Lord says to him, I will be with you. You will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And Gideon, still full of fear, he says, If this is true, you got to show me a sign. Don't go away until I come back. So he goes home. Uh, This is just the whole story just blows my mind because the angel's sitting there waiting for him. He goes home. He he kills a goat, fixes a meal. How long does that take? He makes bread. He brings it back, sets it before the angel. The Bible says the angel takes a staff, touches it, and it burns up with fire. Then he disappears. Now, he asked for a sign. That's quite a sign, I would think. So how is this guy now a hero of the faith? I'm still not seeing it here because it even gets worse than that. I think what we're seeing here is not a hero of faith necessarily, but average faith. Faith like you and me. Now, I've never seen an angel. I I never have that I know of. I mean, the Bible says you could see angels unaware. And I've had experiences where I wondered about that. But nothing like this. I mean, no, one, no fire burning up, no nothing, right? The Bible says that uh, Gideon goes out. It's pretty cool. I mean, he goes out, and he, he does get some faith, and he tear down some pagan altars. Then he's afraid and hides. Then there's a showdown between Israel and the Midianites, and then he goes to God and says, I'm not sure again, and he says to God, I want you to do this, and this is where he puts out the fleece, the sheepskin, and he says, he, first he says, I want it to be wet and the ground uh, dry, that happens. Then the next night he says, okay, now I want that to be dry and the all ground wet. And that happens. Sign after sign after sign. So then, this is the funniest thing of all, I think. Because what God does is, God takes him to a point where he says, he says to him, okay, you don't have faith. Now I'm going to stretch your faith even more. Have you seen those shows or heard of it where someone has a fear and the, the way to get over the fear is to, to have them overcome it by doing it, facing it? That's what I kind of think of with this because Gideon has low faith. So God says, you had low faith and you asked me to do these signs? I'm going to make it even, even more so. So what happens is Gideon, he pulls together 32,000 troops and God says to him, that's too many. I don't know what army commander ever feels like they got too many. So he says to him, he says, tell your people, anybody who's scared, just tell them to go home. So he does that. He says, if you're afraid, go home. 22,000 go home. That leaves him with 10,000. God says, that's still too many. And then he has this way of paring it down. They end up with 300 guys. The original 300. Before the, the whole thing with you know, the Spartans. 300. Then he divides them up and they totally overwhelm and overcome the Midianites. I think about that and I think, how is he a hero of the faith? You know what it was? When he replaced his fear with faith. God could use him. You know, I read it, and I, I want to criticize him, but the thing is, I struggle with faith. You struggle with faith. There's things you've tried to believe for, and God, has been taken too long, or, or maybe life hasn't turned out how you thought, or, or there's a setback, or maybe you've seen other people blessed, and you haven't been blessed, and you've gotten frustrated, and your faith has been tested, and you come to God, and you say to him, i'm struggling and i think that's what you need to do i mean we could criticize gideon and we do we make fun of him and we talk about putting out a fleece and god was so gracious to him i mean the burning up the food the the angel the fleece the the warriors and still winning the battle but he does the same for you if you come to him with the faith you have as weak as it is as little as it is what he's trying to show you is that he will meet you there and you will still be a hero a hero of the faith. Barak was timid. Barak was timid. He was the, ru- he was the, he was the army commander, but, but he couldn't lead the army on his own. The fact is, you never can read about Barak without Deborah. Deborah was the actual judge that this story's about. And the Bible tells us that, that she, there's this, they're being persecuted and, and overcome, and he doesn't know what to do, but God speaks to Deborah and leads Deborah. And what happens is, uh, let me just read some of this. In Judges 4, chapter 3, Sisera, who is the commander of their, the army that's attacking them, they had 900 iron chariots. They were ruthlessly oppressing the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people cried out to Israel or to God for help. And Deborah, the wife of, of Lipidoth, was a prophet judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak, who lived in Kedish, the land of Naphtali. And she said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you to do. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And then and then, then she says, I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. And there I will give you a victory over them. And Barak says, I will go, but only if you go with me. He's the commander of the army. I, just, I read this and I think, dude, you're the man, man up here. But he's not trusting. He doesn't have the faith. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedish. Why the doubt? Where does this come from? Well, part of it is because they were outmanned and outgunned. You read the part about the 900 chariots? 900 chariots? Israel didn't have chariots like that. They had no chance of beating this enemy. And the fact is, Barak knew it. Here's what it was. It's easier sometimes to look at the odds against you than the God who's for you. We do it every day. Every day, you size up the odds against you and you react accordingly. And you forget that there's a God for you who's behind you, and sometimes you need a push just like Barak needed. And we can mock him and make fun of him because he needed needed Deborah to push him and, and almost shame him into doing his job. But the fact is, we walk that same road all the time. We've been told what to do, and we know what to do, but it's easier to look at the odds against you than the God who's for you. And some of you are facing huge odds, illness, maybe illness of a loved one, We've got two people connected to this church. We, we mentioned Sophie and Philip's baby last week who's still in NICU. And then we mentioned, we mentioned uh, uh, Stephen this morning in ICU. Those are huge odds. But we serve a God who's for us that's bigger than all those odds. Maybe you're looking at financial pressures today and you're thinking that you can't go on. And you know there's a bill coming. Or you know it's due and you just know it's not going to work out. Maybe it's a job situation or... A relationship that feels impossible to fix. And if all you were going to do was judge your life by the odds against you, it's lost. The fact is, just in this story, the Bible tells us that God sent a storm and all those 900 iron chariots, only God knows how heavy those things were, got stuck. And they were completely overwhelmed by Israel. And then there's the story, I mean, the ironic twist in the story. She had said that he wouldn't get any glory for it. Sisera, the captain of that army, the Bible says he escapes and he goes and then he, gets, he goes up to this tent and he asks the lady if he can sleep there. She says, sure. She invites him in and then when he's sleeping, puts a tent peg through his temples. I know it's gross, but. He's listed in the line of faith, the heroes of the faith. Samson, we, we know Samson's story. Samson was totally out of control. Most of you know his story. The Bible, his, his mom couldn't have children, the, and the Bible says that, the, that she was told that she would have a baby and that he would free the people of Israel. They were fighting the Philistines at this time. And the Bible says that um, he, was, he was supposed to be raised under a Nazarite vow, and if you're not familiar with that, what basically his hair would never, need, would never be cut. He wasn't supposed to eat anything that came from the fruit of the vine, so no grapes, no wine, no, no anything like that. And then he was never supposed to touch dead animals. And God used him in a miraculous way, gave him incredible strength. And if you know the stories, he defeated the the Philistines in very spectacular ways, numerous, numerous times. And then Delilah, famous Delilah, tricked him into revealing the secret of his strength. And they capture him, gouge his eyes out. And then he, he, in revenge over the Philistines, kills 3,000 of them in one day as his dying act. That's his whole life. You know what I think of, though? He's kind of the American idol of the Bible. You ever thought about this? The Bible talks about him as being super handsome. He had everything going for him. He had miraculous strength, everything going for him. He had it all, good looks, strength, popularity, the blessings of God, and he threw it all away. He threw it all away. How does this guy get in the book? Well, I look at it and I I see unlimited, unrealized potential. And I wonder if there's any of us sitting here today who maybe feel the same way. Maybe you look back at 2016 or even 15 or 14 or maybe 10 or further back, and, and all you seem to be able to do is look back at all the failures because you never realized the potential that you know God had put in you. Maybe somebody had prophesied over you at a young age, or maybe there was a time where you felt like God was leading you into something, and and it's not happened. And here we are in 2017, and part of you not too excited about it because you carry this failure with you. And you can relate to this unrealized, unlimited potential. Samson was full of contradictions, too. You look at it, he was a man of faith, and then he had this tremendous weakness for women. Man of prayer, but then he had uncontrollable fits of anger. You look at it, and you think he was a leader of Israel, but then he... He, he lusted over the women who were part of the people group that he was supposed to free Israel from. It's as if he was a walking contradiction, just like us, where you have these, these moments of incredible spiritual victory and then failures, and you look at yourself and you think, God, why am I such a failure? And you look at maybe Romans chapter 7 where Paul writes and he says, why is it I can't seem to do what I know I want to do? I want to serve you, God, and then I fail over and over and over. I was going to ask you to raise your hand if you feel like that sometimes, but but I know most of us raise our hands. On one occasion, he leads the army of Israel to a stunning victory with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then later, the next story, he goes and sleeps with a prostitute. Then they're going to capture him, and they shut the gates, and the Bible says he tears the gates off the walls and carries them away. How, How is that? He's a hero of the faith. I don't think his problem was necessarily the the tendency for sexual sin. I think it was more he never could control his emotions, his temper. It's like he was ruled by all those things. He had runaway emotions, and eventually those emotions ran away with him. He was empowered by the Spirit, then he was controlled by his own desires and emotions. Deeply flawed. Flawed. Just like you and me. Do you ever feel like sometimes you could do amazing things for God, but then you see and you see the failures in your own life? I don't know. I think God put him in there because he's a lot like us. And the fact is that God still sees our failures and still sees you as being a hero of the faith because he can still use you. This last guy... is is probably the most unlikely character to be in the Bible at all. Jephthah was foolish, incredibly foolish. This story, it's one of those stories where I look at it and I think, this is a clear example of God describing something that happened, not proscribing how it should happen. This is a story where you look at it and you say, this is what happened. It's no way what we should be doing in life. Jephthah is an interesting character because The Bible says that he was a mighty, mighty warrior from Gilead. But it also notes that his mother was a prostitute. And you wonder if maybe he grew up having something to prove. Maybe people were always teasing him about that. Don't know. But he was a mighty warrior. We know that. And I don't know about you, but I know that there's some people who seem to always be carrying something in their past. And sadly, they let that thing in their past be a label that, that determines their future. They let that label that they carry around that they hear all the time be almost prophetic and they feel like they've always got to prove something to somebody. And maybe that's why. Maybe he was an overachiever that way because of that. I don't know. All we know is that he was a tremendous, tremendous warrior. And as you read his story in the book of Judges, it says that eventually his own family turns against him and he kind of collects this gang of thugs around him. But then when the Ammonites start to attack Israel, they call him and they want him to be their warrior again. And the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord comes over him. And here's this foolish vow he makes. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. I don't know what he was thinking. The Bible goes on to say that, that uh, Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. The first thing that came out of his house wasn't an animal. Maybe that's what he thought it would be, which is weird, too. I mean, I don't know if they had family dogs or cat. I don't know, but it was his daughter. Now, the Bible, God specifically forbids human sacrifice, Specifically. Because that was something that existed around them where they would sacrifice their children. In fact, there's a God made, named Molech that you hear in Scripture, and that's, that was it. They would sacrifice their children in fire to him. And we don't know. The Scripture here, it's confusing a little bit because it says that his daughter uh, spent two months with her friends, and then she lived her life or, or died a virgin, but then it goes on to say, I mean, it's, it's difficult to know if that meant she remained a virgin her whole life and didn't get to experience childbirth and marriage and have a life or indeed if he did sacrifice her. We don't, we don't know for sure. Either way, here's the thing. His vow was rash and ridiculous and out of God's will. Some of us are standing on the precipice of a new year and you're thinking about vows. Now, Aaron was joking about less of me you know being like a weight loss vow or something which which is no doubt a good thing i don't mean that the thing is <laughs> some of us may be tempted to make vows that that are beyond fulfilling that aren't what god wants for us and i don't know you know you, you think about how what what can we learn from these guys i mean what what lessons can you learn from such flawed people here's here's some things i think we can learn first of all gideon He was afraid to answer God's call. Barak, timid, and he needed someone else to tell him what to do and goad him into doing what God wanted him to do. Samson couldn't control his emotions. Jephthah made foolish vows and commitments for himself. Seriously flawed people. But deep down, there was a measure of faith there that God recognized as honorable, and he put it in the book. You know why? Because God uses flawed people to demonstrate his grace. He does it with all of us. Because all of us are flawed. All of us. In one way or another. And I know that you know, some of you are sitting here and think, I would never do what Jephthah did. God forbid. No, you wouldn't. And maybe some of you are thinking, Samson is a, is a jerk. And, and I, I would never be like him. And yeah, that's true. But the fact is, every one of us have flaws. And the fact is, God knows. And he still honors your Faith as much as you have and as flawed as it is. I bet if I ask how many of you have, would consider your faith to be weak, I bet most of us would raise our hands. And for a lot of us, that keeps us from coming to God with our, our whole heart and our whole being because we feel like unworthy to some degree or we feel like I'm not good enough or I can, I can never be good enough. But the fact is, none of us are good enough and he accepts us all right where we are. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And we've talked about this scripture before, and you probably know it better than me. The fact is, Paul could have used any illustration here. They had other things than clay jars in their homes. But everybody had a clay jar because they were the most common thing that everybody could afford. It'd be the difference from maybe that you know fancy, expensive china from China, right? And Walmart Dailyware, right? He used that paper plates, thanks. Because we're paper plates. And he used it because that's what he uses. He uses regular normal people. Regular normal people. And every one of us who are regular normal people could be in this Hebrews Hall of Fame of faith. Because whatever faith you have, you come to him with that faith, he honors that faith. And takes you where you need to go. The difference is if you don't come to him. Then you're a failure. But if you do come to him. Because the fact is we're all cracked and chipped and torn a little bit here or there. Yes Gideon was fearful but God used him anyway. Barak was timid but God used him anyway. Samson did a lot of really dumb stuff. But God used him anyway. And Jephthah made a terrible, terrible mistake. But God still used him. This is... What it comes down to. And I'd like the worship team to make their way up. Comes down to this: Redeeming grace. As you look forward to this new year, we all need redeeming grace. We all need it at some level. And here's the thing as Christians, either you believe in redeeming grace or you don't. And I know that might sound harsh to some of you because I think for some of us, as you as you walk with Christ for a while, you start to forget how far you were redeemed or what he's done for you. But the fact is, either you believe in it or not, because if you don't believe in redeeming grace, then you look at these flawed characters and you think God could never use them. That was a mistake, shouldn't have been in the Bible. On the other hand, if you do believe in redeeming grace, it doesn't look ridiculous because you know who you are and you know how far God's redeemed you. And if you do believe in redeeming grace, you look at somebody who's flawed, and you see yourself in them, and you know that God can redeem them and redeem you. Do you have any faith at all? It's a rhetorical question. Do you? Do you have any? Because if you have any, God will use it. He will meet you where you are and take you from where you are and take you to where you need to be. And that's different for all of us. He honors faith. It's a fact. God honors your faith. It's a redeeming grace of honoring your faith. It's a new year, 2017. Still blows my mind. So what do you have faith for in this year? Maybe maybe looking back, you do have some regrets. Maybe looking back, there's things you wish you could change. But what do you have faith for in this year? I mean, if I was going to ask each one of you, what would it be for? Are there certain financial things that you need faith? You have some faith for, but you need God to work and build that faith for. Maybe it's a relationship issue. I don't know. A marriage, friendships, work situations, certain things you're trying to accomplish or want to see accomplished. Maybe there's a neighbor you've been praying for and you've, you've wanted to see them become a Christian and know the Christ that you know. Maybe you have some faith for that in 2017. Maybe it's a family member, a niece or a nephew or somebody that you've been praying for. And you have a connection with and you think possibly maybe God could use it. You know what that is? It's a little bit of faith. And God will meet you in that faith and he will do miracles. Maybe as, as uh, Aaron said up here that God has more. He's done a lot but there's more. Wait, there's more (laughs) I actually wrote it this way Serve more people than ever I don't know Aaron was going to say what he said But I believe that God is speaking to somebody here And that you felt like you've served people some And you have a little bit of faith That God will use to serve people even more I believe that we all Kind of suffer under a certain sense of failure Of the past or whatever But God wants to take that away from your mind today And he wants to show you that he's got more in plan for you than you could ever imagine. And no matter what your past is, if if you're like Jephthah and there's things in your past that you feel define you, he will take that off because it doesn't define you. And he will make something beautiful out of all of that and use it, even use it for his glory. I'd like you to shut your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'm just, I actually am going to ask you to respond this time. With everybody's eyes closed and just in privacy for a moment, I wonder, would any of you say you could relate to Gideon and you've been slow to trust God? Anybody at all? Just raise your hand. Anybody here like Barak, and you've needed someone else to push you to do what you feel like God's talked to you about doing? Anybody? Appreciate that honesty. How about uh, Samson? You've been letting your emotions guide you. Anybody at all? Appreciate that. Maybe Jephthah, you've let some of the past label you. Anybody like that? I believe God will change those things that he can and will and extend that redeeming grace to you today. Would you all stand with me? I'm going to ask you one final question. And what, what we're going to do is I'm just going to ask you another question. And then I'm going to open up, you know, for a time of prayer. And if if you're a you know, board member, pastor, wife, prayer team, pastor, wife, you know, you come on down and pray with some people. If you would want prayer for any of these things, I want you to come down and we'll pray with you. But I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for one more second here. And I'm wondering if there's anybody in the room who who you've... Never trusted Christ at all. Maybe, maybe you've been doing life by yourself, and you've for for today. You think if this is all true, and there's a God that loves me like this, that you might be willing to trust Him with your life. Anybody like that today? Should consider becoming a Christian today. I'll give you a moment. for the rest of us though if you would like some prayer for some of these things maybe god has put some things in your heart you just want someone to agree with you in prayer maybe it's something you need some victory over you need to lay in the past leave in the past and you'd like some prayer i just want to invite you down for